Hello and welcome to the Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way of doing business. We believe beautiful businesses are led with purpose by people who care, guided by a clear strategy and soulfully grown. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast. My name is Ewan Sang, part of the Beautiful Business team, and this week I was lucky enough to be joined by Nikki Gattenby. Nikki is a double best-selling author on the subject of engagement at work with super engaged and purposeful work with Better Business on Purpose. Nikki has led successful marketing agencies in London, Paris and Brighton in the UK with a track record for supercharging positive growth. Her last business went from Brighton to global, from marketing services to two software as a service technology products, Answer the Public and Coverage Book, hand in hand with being named one of the best places to work in the UK for eight years running. Having exited the agency in 2019 and taken a sabbatical to New Zealand, Nikki is now an in-demand agency specialist, non-exec director and cognitive behavioral coach, helping founders set their strategy and coaching the leadership teams to deliver on it. Nikki is featured as one of the corporate rebel pioneers for progressive thinking and voted one of 10 of the most inspirational people in the 2022 Industry Bench Press Survey. It was a real pleasure interviewing Nikki, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Nikki, let's start off with the power of the seven Ps and the Pequalizer. I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about the seven Ps, which I assume one of which, of course, is purpose. And why is purpose really important and why must we avoid it becoming a buzzword? You're absolutely right. Purpose is very important. And we'll come on to the seven piece shortly. But there's been a lot said about purpose over the last few years. And unfortunately, I think it's become a bit of a dirty word, which is a shame. But it's so important because purpose gives us a reason to believe in anything. And without purpose or the wrong purpose, action can seem at best futile or at worst potentially damaging. So book all about better business on purpose is having a reason to believe in what you're doing. So from a business context, we've kind of been led by the Milton Friedman School of Economics in 76. He talks about the fact that the main responsibility of business was to create shareholder value, as much money as possible for shareholders. That was it. And that idea was infectious and it caught on and companies across the globe have kind of adopted it. And unfortunately, it's created a, almost a finance tale that wags the corporate decision-making dog. And I'm not down on finance at all. Your profits absolutely need to be part of the equation, but it's not the only reason for being. It's a bit like saying, you know, breathing is the only reason for living. It's absolutely not. And shareholder value completely ignores the fact there are so many other people involved in business. And those people may or may not be motivated by continually creating value that others continually cream off. And I think we're seeing more of that. You know, it's no longer acceptable for that kind of thing to happen. And that's the purpose being a buzzword. Well, talented people have choices. And the talent in the younger generation and our generation, you know, everybody, the workforce of the future is going to be highly decisive about where they spend their time and energy working in companies, you know, that impact the planet that we've all inherited. So this has been a, a huge time for reflection as well as purpose being talked about a lot. And it's triggered this almost era of conscious capitalism or liberal capitalism by a growing number of business leaders who want to step away from the Friedman economics and look at a more impactful and purposeful way of doing business and becoming a force for good. You know, step forward, as, as we described in the book, the uh, nature lover activist mountain climber, self-confessed dirtbag, Yvonne Srinard, who is the founder of Patagonia. And he said, he kind of summed it up, profits happen when you do everything else right. So I'm vocal about the need to address the balance of not using people in business in pursuit of profit alone, because people created business, not the other way around. And we don't need to become saved to the balance sheet. And therein lies the rubber. It's all about balance. So in my mind, business without purpose, you're making money. It's just admin. And business has the potential to be so much more than that. Hence why I don't believe the purpose is just a buzzword. 
Good. That's wonderful. I genuinely couldn't agree with you more. A couple of things that just come out from what you said there. Somebody once said to me, or I picked up from another podcast, growth for the sake of growth mm. is the business model of cancer. And I thought, Oof, that's pretty heavy hitting. But, you know, it kind wow. of, you know, says like, there needs to be a reason for it, as you say. And the power of almost kind of harmonizing that reason across your team, across your leadership, across your employees is absolutely profound, which I'm sure we will come on to in a moment or two. But I just wanted to pick up slightly on what you said about the young generation that came through as well. We did a interview with a lady called Jen Swain recently, who's um, part of oh, Beef Freaks. Freaks. Yeah. yeah, lovely. Absolutely. Amazing lady, amazing company. And some really interesting insights that came off the back of that as well in terms of, and the discussion kind of went around the fact that as much to what you said, things have changed. You know, our whole kind of economic landscape has changed. Our social landscape has changed. There's no such thing as a job for life anymore. Whereas 10, 15 years ago, you could be in a role for 10, 15, 20 years, even longer. That sort of thing just doesn't exist. And I think that in itself feeds into that concept where you have particularly younger workers who, you know, perhaps don't have the job security the boomers might have had. They don't have the cheap house prices mm -hmm. and things like this. So that their context is so different. And as you say, what that means for them is that they look beyond just pounds, shilling and pence when it comes to a job. They look for the things that will give them fulfillment. They look for things that will make them feel good. They feel like they're part of something. And then when you look at that and you think, well, actually, do you know what? That's not a bad place to be. That's pretty smart, isn't it? That's, yeah. that's pretty smart thinking. We're not part cogs in a machine. We actually want to be here for a reason. Yeah, indeed. And I guess, you know, maybe some founders are late to the game. But as you say, that's a bloody good reason to come to work that it feels like you're doing something which aligns with your values, it aligns with what you want to achieve outside of money. Because the reality is, is that we all probably could be doing something that earns us more money. It's whether or not we want to do it is the fact of it. So tell us a bit about the seven Ps then out of the book. Because when we spoke about this before, I thought this is lovely because this is how my brain works. Give me systems, give me patterns. So tell us about the seven Ps. These came about when I was talking with my co-authors of the book in terms of how we look at business and how we look at what drives value in business. And profit is definitely one of those Ps. But there's so many other value drivers in a business. And if we think that profit is the only value driver, we're actually not going to make it the profit that we could because we're going to limit our own potential. And if profit becomes the sole outcome, we are creating it at the expense of the other value drivers. And as we talked and discussed, we thought, okay, what can we do in terms of looking at what are the value drivers of a business? The ones that come around by solving the world's problems, not creating them. How can we solve problems? What can business do? Well, it's about looking at their purpose, the second P. Well, actually, it's the first of the book, to be honest. But what is the purpose of the business beyond making money? And is that a magnetic reason for people to want to come and work with us and join us? Because if it's not, we're going to have a problem in the future because we're not going to be magnetic. Is our positioning clear? The second P, you know, do people know that we're there? Because if we're not clear, how on earth are people going to find us? And ironically, it's going to cost us a lot more money to be found and erode our future profit. Do we have a clear stance around how we're going to work with people and our team? Does everyone who touches the business have a positive outcome? Because if they do, they're much more likely to become advocates. And again, we're not going to be wasting marketing effort by spending loads of money on marketing. Our team and the people that touch the business, the buyers, the suppliers, the clients, whoever, becomes part of our promotion, which is quite incredible. Fourth P, products and services deliver on the purpose and the promise of the brand, because if they don't, we're going to have a problem from a brand perspective. And again, if these P's aren't lived, they're eroding profit. If they are lived and they create value, they're actually generating more profit. Planet, we've talked about this, you know, are we putting back more than we're taking? Because talented people have choices and this planet we're inheriting is quite scary for most of us, for all of us. So what can we do to be part of the change for good there? And platforms, you know, such as technology and community, are we using tech in a way that can help us grow well? Are we using our communities and creating our communities and having alumni of people? 
what the fascinating conversation I have quite a lot is are, are the businesses I'm working with creating alumni of people that leave the business? Because as you just said, there's not a job for life anymore. People leave and that's fine. But the good ones never really leave you anyway. They want to be part of you going forward. The big four, I do this all the time, Accenture, KPMG, they deliberately recruit grads knowing they will be clients of the future and they treat them relatively well. So what can our businesses do to treat people really well to create that alumni? Because if you don't, and if you treat people badly when they leave your business, they are not going to become advocates of your business. They're actually going to detract from your future profit. Mm. So i have quickly kind of whizzed through the seven Ps. So purpose, positioning, people, product, planet, platform, and profit. Yes, it's still there. It's not a dirty word because everyone needs a sustainable commercial model to survive. But it's in balance. You know, profit isn't the only reason to exist. But if you get all the other value drivers right, mm. you will actually create more profit. If you get them wrong, you'll erode your profit. So we've got to shift our thinking in terms of how we think about profit. And it's not the sole purpose. And then how we operate to be in balance. Hmm. And that's where the peopleizer comes in. Because, you know, as leaders, we are holding an awful lot in our heads and trying to balance so many things. And if all of our reporting is about the profit, if we're still in the Milton Friedman School of Economics, we will get off kilter. But if we have a really simple mechanism to look at how we look at our balance of our business, how we're driving value, life will become easier. So with, with Tim and Neil, my co-authors, we created what we call the peakalizer. And we did wrestle with that name quite a lot. And we kind of fell in the it's so bad, it's good territory. So we're going with it. But we're all music lovers. And Tim used to be a record producer, still is, and um, has had some really good uh, DJ experiences, which would be fascinating on this podcast. Anyway, that's another story. But we were talking about how music can balance and how you look at the balance of music. And a super simple way to look at that is using a graphic equaliser, hence peakalizer. And, you know, if you look at any music production studio, they have them. If you look at your iTunes, if you use iTunes, it's on there. You can see the equaliser. How can we use that tool to give us a simple view of business? And that's exactly what we've done. Literally an equaliser with the bars along it being each one of the P's. If you use that as your template, if you can see it in your mind's eye and you think, okay, where are we in terms of profit? Are we making good money? Okay, it's up on the peakalizer. What are we doing in terms of planet? Are we actually taking more than we're giving it down on the peakalizer? And look at that line that you get across the peakalizer because if it's all out of alignment and it's all out of balance, you're going to be creating a hideous noise and possibly not having the best business. If your peakalizer is in balance and it's all relatively positive, you possibly have a better chance of creating more value and be able to have really good conversations. Now, the thing is, this isn't scientific. This is a feeling about the business. And what the peakalizer is there to do is to create conversation. And it's the differences that people feel about the business that are so important to talk about because mm. so much goes in the unsaid. But if we have a tool to help us talk about what is going on in business and a very simple one at that, we can have some really fundamental conversations about what we should and could be doing next to create an even better business on purpose. Oh, I love it. I love it. I suppose it's that one single view almost isn't it that sparks those conversations off and as you say kind of brings out into the open differences of opinion different feelings as you say where you know if the ceo of an organization says look you know profit is around about here but we're here with our people then it gives that opportunity for somebody to kind of speak up and speak out if they feel like oh actually do you know what maybe we're not maybe there's some other things that are kind of i guess part of what business leaders can actually do is to create a safe environment to have these discussions yes. A forum almost where views, feelings are welcome and able to be spoken. 
Absolutely. And one of the highlighted examples we give in the book is a well-documented example about Volkswagen and the fact that they have a really clear purpose to be offer attractive, safe, environmentally sound vehicles, which compete the increasingly tough market and set the standards in their class. Now, I'm sure most people know about the emissions scandal from Volkswagen. And if they were talking about the fact that their purpose is one thing, but all the things that drive value in their business potentially aren't aligned to it, what should they be doing? They actively tricked the technology that looked at the emissions on their vehicles to get a better rating. Now, in what meeting was that deemed okay? In what board session did someone say, yes, that's okay? Well, we know now because the various people have been sued off the back of it and had to make amends. But it's the kind of conversation that, as you say, we need to make safe. Why are these decisions being made? That was in the pursuit of profit, not in the pursuit of purpose. And you can see how badly it went wrong. Now, I'm not saying we're all going to be doing something quite as bad as Volkswagen have, but my God, they need to pay for that. But there are lots of things we can do if we use something like the peak license that help us see the business in its totality and understand what might be going wrong or where we can achieve better gains in a purposeful way. Yeah, wonderful. I love the fact that, as you say, it isn't like a magic wand or a panacea that you adopt this system. What it does is it facilitates that discussion. It, it kind of creates that environment or should create that environment where leaders can kind of look at the business with real clarity, you know, mm. rather than looking through the optics of shareholder value of bottom line or whatever it might be, but just looking at it in slightly different context, I suppose, is another way of doing it. And I also want to pick up the piece that you said around people as advocates, because I think that ties in slightly with the products. You mentioned there that products or services, do they deliver against a purpose that you kind of go out with? And this comes back to a word which gets mentioned a lot in the Beautiful Business Podcasts, and that's around authenticity. Are you doing what you say you do? You know, Are you walking the walk as well as doing the talk? And I think that runs parallel both in terms of the people and also the product, because as you say, you know, the Volkswagen example is a really good one, you know, where they haven't really stayed true to their purpose and really stayed true to their values. And the other part of it is, and you mentioned the word advocacy a couple of times as well, both in terms of people and in terms of product as well. It's so powerful, isn't it? When somebody else says something good about you, not just you saying, you know, look at me, I'm amazing. I do this all the time. But if you've got other people doing it and then you extend that by one more. And we used to say this a lot when we were hiring people and when you interview people, make them want, if you don't end up offering the job, you want them to be gutted that they didn't get it because they could be the person sat down at the pub with somebody else, the dream employee of the future. And they're saying, oh, I was thinking about applying to go and work with Nikki. And that person who you turned down turned around and go, oh, I went for an interview with her. I so wish I got that job. And that is almost, you know, in terms of this war on talent, having that advocacy, even from somebody who doesn't work for you, is incredibly powerful. So I love the fact that people are in the P's and the seven P's. Well, we created business, didn't we? Without us, it would not exist. I know we have this huge thing about tech being the future, but without us, it does not exist. And we are still the heart and soul of it. And we will continue to be so. You know, we're going to work in hand in hand with tech, I believe. And just on this people thing and, and about making it safe to have these conversations, there's a brilliant example, which many listeners may know, about Ed Catmull from Pixar. When Toy Story was first put together, he saw the rushes and he said, this cannot go out. They had all the slots booked in terms of premieres and all of the cinemas waiting for it to go. And he said, it's not good enough. Now, there's a high level in animation and anything that, you know, creative, there's a high level of ego involved in terms of creating something as amazing as Toy Story. But it wasn't amazing. So what Ed Catmull did was said, okay, we're going to put all our egos at the door. We're going to create this thing called the Brain Trust, where we all get together and we rip Toy Story apart and we're going to rebuild it. It's not good enough. I don't mind who did what bit. I just want us to get it to a good place. If you can't leave your ego at the door, you do not come in. Leave your ego at the door, come in, let's talk about this. And they took it apart and they rebuilt it and they did it from scratch. 
And Toy Story defined a generation. Now, that was the bravery of Ed Catmull and the rest of the team to go, okay, this isn't personal. This is about us doing something brilliant and doing it on purpose and entertaining and giving kids a creativity of the future. Um, the advocacy off the back of Toy Story is almost bigger, I would say, because they did it on purpose and they deliberately got it right because they made people feel safe in the process. And I'm not saying all well, this is easy. You know, some of this is really hard, but we need to play to our human spirit to get this right. And that's where leaders absolutely need to step into their frame and say, this is not personal. This is about getting it right. So we're doing it on purpose. Yeah. And that's a skill in itself, isn't it? To create that culture, to create that trust. It's what it comes down to, isn't it? It's that trust bit. And to be able to say to your team, nobody's going to get hung up dry here. There's things that we need to fix. There are things that haven't gone the way that we need them to go. You know, let's have that conversation. Let's have that dialogue around how we can do it. But that will only work when that trust is there. When you have the authenticity, when people believe you, when you say this is what you're going to do. So it comes back again to living to your purpose, doesn't it? It comes back to living to your values. On that interview process, I'm with you. And I believe it's a two-way interview you know you're both being interviewed I want someone to want me as much as I may want them kind of thing you know it's, it's like, oh, someone else is legend. that's it we're human again you know we want yeah. it to be enjoyable I remember having the most hideous interview when I was younger I've been headhunted for a role and I don't even remember the scene out of train spotting where Spud is on the chair in the middle of the room and there's a whole panel of people it wasn't as bad as that clearly but that's how it felt and they were firing questions they would headhunted me for this role and I was like do you know what if this is how it is to work here I'm out that didn't go down very well either. But I just thought my values, your values are not aligned. I would never treat somebody like that in an interview. You want them to relax. You want them to feel like, yeah, they've got to be there with their A game because that's what you want at work. But you want them to be enjoying it as well. And if they're not, what is it that you can do as well as what they can do to make the situation a human one? not something antagonistic and to interview them on purpose. I love that. And you're absolutely right, you know, with chat GPT and AI Mm -hmm. and all these machines and algorithms that are, you know, coming into the fore now. It makes the importance of being human even more acute, I think, you know, and it's a bit of a cliche to say that people attract people, but it is so true in in so many contexts as well, from a client and customer perspective through to an employee perspective as well. Just you talking about the interview scenario that you're in just reminded me, it's not really related, Nikki, but I remind, <laughs> reminded me when I was applying for Lyft, I'm really glad I didn't get it actually, it was a job, sorry, I was applying for, which was to sell Lyft maintenance contracts, which is pretty fun pretty dynamic wasn't it i was like 20 something years old and in the interview my housemate bless him my housemate rang me twice to wish me luck but it was in the middle of the interview so my phone rang twice and it was all you know first time was obviously it was like second time i should have switched it off and i didn't but it rang again i was like oh no Brilliant. It's the other people that want me to work with yeah. them. Sorry. I just... <laughs> yes, we'll that. It's another lift Do you want maintenance. Me? Me yeah. <laughs> Goodness me. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Anyway, they were lovely about it. So I must be honest with you, I didn't really feel like I needed to get that job. So that's probably for the best. So the Pequalizer sounds like a fabulous tool that business owners, business leaders, and management teams can kind of use. I love the fact that it gives a grounding to the conversations that we had around those seven Ps, around purpose, positioning, people, products, planet platform and also profit as you say not a dirty word but it sits as a piece of the puzzle rather than the whole puzzle itself i guess is a nice way of putting it but what can business leaders do in your mind where they can be both purpose-led and profitable because i think everything that we've been talking about here nikki has been the fact that the two coexist it's not one at the expense of other if anything get the rest of it right profit will come along too so what's your thoughts there what's your kind of general position on that absolute clarity clear is kind that's one of my favorite statements from Brene Brown. Because unclear is unkind. If we're really clear what we're doing and where we're headed, it makes a lot of sense in terms of decision making and why things happen and why things don't happen. If it's not clear where we're headed, 
they're in chaos. I like a little bit of chaos, but too much chaos means you can't be creative because your head is full of, how does this work? So having clarity is so important. And purpose can be that clarity if it's lived. So as leaders, it's setting the path, but then giving people freedom to do their own thing to get there. So without the clarity, I think things like Volkswagen can happen. With the clarity, amazing things can happen. You can almost see the difference. We've got something we need to aim for. Let's all head in this direction. And you know, let people have their space to do that and offer people personal responsibility. One of the things I learned really early when I was leading teams was don't let other people outsource their careers to you. Now, that sounds quite about face. But a lot of time in work, people expect their career to be led by others or promotion prospects put in front of them or something else. My advice is you are the master of your own career. Take it. It's your responsibility. If you're the leader of this business, has got 100 people, 40 people, 8 people, however many people, they probably haven't got enough headspace to manage everybody else's careers brilliantly. They can give you loads of spring balls and safety nets. But if they're really clear, if the leader's really clear on where we're headed, you as the person within the team, take responsibility for your career and where you're headed and where you're going next. Secondly, don't let people outsource their happiness to someone else. We are all in charge of our own minds and our own happiness. That's quite a big statement. But don't look beyond your own mind all the time for your own happiness. Social media is a killer for this, looking for the constant comparison. Comparison is the killer of joy. Let's look inside for our own happiness and generate our own happiness. And as a leader, help people to do that. Let them see what they're brilliant at. You know, at school, we're taught to research and read and have an opinion on something else. What about our own opinion? What about how we think and feel? What's coming from inside? So recap, as a leader, be clear. Don't let people outsource their development. Help them to take responsibility for it. And ask them to take responsibility for their own happiness. Because that way, if everyone's taking responsibility for themselves, my God, the collective responsibility goes up in the direction that we're all headed. Oh, I love it. It's incredible. It sounds like a great place to work. <laughs> Nick, it sounds amazing. I love this whenever I speak with guests on this podcast, because always, as you're speaking, I end up self-reflecting, thinking, oh, do you know what? I've done that. Definitely done that. I've seen that being done, but then also in a personal context, you kind of see that. And there is a level of freedom that comes, isn't there, yes. that when you are empowered to do that. And the reality is it's a quite a brave thing to do, to kind of take that into your own hands. And there's perhaps a bit of confidence, there's a bit of inner resolve that you need in order to do that. And that can sometimes be hard to find. So as a leader, if you are able to help people find that inner resolve, that kind of inner confidence, I love that idea of springboards and safety nets is beautiful. But to empower people to do that, as you say, and that in itself, it becomes a almost like a self-charging culture there of mm -hmm. people that feel like they're in control of their own destiny, uh, who are in control of their own happiness. But within this clearly defined kind of purpose, this clearly defined goals and with the seven Ps, the facility to discuss in a safe place those areas that will make that positive difference, a positive impact when it comes to balancing both purpose and profit. Indeed. There's another angle to this in terms of what leaders can do. It's ask people to take personal responsibility for how they treat themselves. Because what was I listening to? Jimmy Carr the other day. This sounds ironic. He's a comedian, but he's also quite a philosopher. I don't know if anyone's listened to him on the Stephen Bartlett Diary CEO. I'm on a completely different perspective on the guy. And he's written a book called Before and After. And he talks about the fact that if when you were a teenager, you were given a car and you were told it was the only car you were ever going to own and it had to last you all your life, how would you treat it? Where would you keep it? How would you treat it in terms of how you drove it? How would you fuel it? How would you let others treat it? What would you do to keep it running well? How often would you check in on it? All of these questions, and you see where the analogy is going. It's like, okay, so you're the car. How are you going to treat yourself for the next 70, 80 years, 90, 100, however many? But you've got you. Think about how you're going to treat yourself and treat yourself well. And again, don't outsource that to others. If you need an expert, bring it, get an expert involved. If you need an oil change, you know, but 
think about how you can do the best for you. Yeah. And again, as leaders, sometimes we need to help people with that conversation because we can expect it to come from others quite a lot. Yeah. I'm just thinking a little bit back to what you said there about comparison. What did you say? The comparison it's is a thief of joy. Is a thief of joy. God, this session, Nikki, is just bombarding me. My brain is <laughs> swimming. It's wonderful. Comparison being the thief of joy is such an accurate phrase. I think it touches on briefly. I know that we're not going to go too much into it in this interview, but in and around founders and leaders, their own kind of mental health, you know, their own kind of resilience to these sorts of things. I think that things like LinkedIn, this whole kind of the humble brag kind of culture and stuff like this, it's, it does get quite unhealthy at times. And what you said just remind me of a, I think it was in one of the kids' books, actually. It's one of my little boy Tobias, who's 11, one of his books I read, I think. And it said, um, you shouldn't compare yourself to others. That's not the right comparison to make. You compare yourself to yourself. Yes. So, you know, don't compare yourself to how another company founder is doing. Compare yourself how you did last year, how you did last quarter. You know, and that your measure, as you say, is more internal rather than external. And, and in many ways, that helps you focus on the right things. Absolutely. Because you don't know what else is going on in that person's world. You've no idea. Because what we see is the 10% people want to put on the social profiles. And there's a really interesting thing. If you look at how we use all of the online tools we have, when we're using social tools, it's one perspective of us. When we're using private tools like Google search, it's another. And we did some research into young mums and the things they would put on Instagram in terms of always loving my baby sleeping and young dads. And then the search they're doing, oh my God, I've had no sleep. You know, it's completely the mirror image. Yeah. And the dichotomy is there between. Yeah. yeah. Being a parent's really stressful for all people involved. And it's, but the image we portray is only a tiny proportion of it. So take that into any realm of life. The business image people portray, and there are some people being you know, very honest and sharing others, but most people are showing the tip of the iceberg good bits. Or there's an awful lot of just saying things for saying things sake and just to be there. It's like, oh, be there with purpose. And then we come back to that word. Yeah. Don't just be there. Be there for a reason. Yeah. Be there to help others. Yeah. Be there in service of others and yourself. Thank you so much, Nikki Gatenby, for joining us on this week's Beautiful Business Podcast. It was a real pleasure to hear your ideas, your insights, and your inspiration when it comes to purposeful businesses. Thank you for joining us for this week's Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way to do business. Join us next time for more interesting discussions on how businesses can bring about change, helping communities, building a fairer society, and safeguarding the planet. You can also join in the discussion at www.beautifulbusiness.uk.